While those are going to the back of the room, I want to welcome everybody here this morning in the name of Jesus. We welcome you. We are uh, above everything else what we go after every single week when we gather is the exaltation of the Son of God. And so we just invite you into that. That's the main aim of our time in the Word this morning. And so we just invite you in. In the past few weeks, we started a study through the book of Genesis as a local church. Specifically, we're going to make our way from chapters 1 to 11. The past couple of weeks, we have been walking through chapter 1, which is the creation account. Ryan has covered the first five days of creation, and today we're going to dig into day 6. Day 6 of creation. This is what's coming at us. So, let me say this before we pray. What we desire, what I desire, and what I hope you desire in the next hour, is number one, we want to hear from God, right? God forbid that His church gather together and God is forbid to speak to us. We want to hear His voice. We want to hear Him speak. And then right behind that, we want to hear God speak in such a way that makes a difference in our life. Our goal during this time is not to just learn factual information about God. Our our goal is to hear God speak in such a way that makes a difference in our life. And here's the plan. God has has devised a plan for us. Not my plan. So listen to first, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. Okay? This is God's remedy uh, for this problem that we face this morning. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. Those are our two goals this morning. If we stick close to the Word of God, God promises that His Word is breathed out by Him and that it makes a difference in our life. It's profitable. It's not a waste of time. Okay? So our aim this morning is to stick as close as we possibly can to God's words because they're His words and they make a difference in our life. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come to You today as Your church, as the people that are called by Your name. And Lord, I just pray the same thing that Hunter prayed earlier. God, we desire to be fed by You today. Lord, we desire, God, to to draw near to Your tangible presence, Lord, to experience You in a real way, God, that You would be the living God among us. God, I pray for visitors in this room. God, I pray that You would, that you would arrest all of our attention today with, with Your glorious truth, with truth about who You are and who You have called us to be and who You are for us in Jesus. God, we pray that You would drive out distractions and that You would drive out coldness in our hearts and that You would carve away a place, God, just a holy moment, Lord, where You would speak to us in a way that makes a difference in our life. Lord, come come feed Your church. God, we ask for for Your help today. God, I ask for Your help to speak in Your name. God, we desire, Lord, to hear Your words and... We just ask for Your help. God, help me to preach Your words and the power that You supply and help us to hear Your words, Lord. Unless You reveal Your truth to us, Lord Jesus, we will not see. And so we just ask You to open our eyes today and help us to behold Your glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Day 6 of creation. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 24. And we're going to read to the end of the chapter. Day 6 of creation, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. And I want to, I want to encourage everybody in here to get your, get your eyes on these words and let's read this together. 
These are the most important words you're going to hear in the next hour because these are the words from the Holy One Himself. Truth without error, straight from the mouth of God. This is the Word of God. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath, I have, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that He had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. There we, get, there we go. There's the sixth day of creation. Now I want to I set this up for a minute before we unpack this passage. Most of us in this room are Christians. And I want to encourage you that it is very important that you know the story of creation very well. And you say, why? Why is it important that I know Genesis 1 very well because the Bible is our book and it starts here. So that's one reason. Okay, But Ryan has touched on this the past few weeks that there are themes that run through the entire Word of God that are rooted in the first chapter of Scripture. And so the book that we have, our book, the Bible, it starts with the story of creation and it ends with new creation. Okay, So creation is the theme through and through. We have to know this story. It's very critical that you understand Genesis 1. I'll give you an example. This is a, a, a brother uh, in this room uh, gave this to me just a couple of weeks ago of how important it is to know the beginning, to be established in the very beginning. And he compared it to somebody shooting a gun, a target practice. Okay, And he said, you know, it's one thing to miss the mark by one inch at a 10-foot shot. You know, you just off a little bit. But the further you get away from 10 feet, you stretch out 100 feet, and that inch off becomes several feet off the further you get down the line. Do you understand this? Okay? So here's the point. If we're off at the very beginning, by the time we get to the end, we're miles away from what God has communicated to man. Okay? If you don't understand the beginning... You will not understand this book. The creation account is critical for every Christian in this room. You need to know this. You need to know this. This is the first thing that I, that I want to drive into your heart. And Ryan's mentioned this. This is mostly a reminder. Okay? If we want to know this well, if we want to know the story of creation well, numero uno lesson for us is that this creation account is about God. 
Because the entire universe is about God. Okay? One of the biggest mistakes in, in, in all of humanity is that humanity makes everything about man, but from the very beginning, everything is about God. This will help you get oriented in this world. Okay? You need to drive this in. You wake up, you eat, you sleep, you breathe in a universe that everything that you can see, everything that you lay your eyes on is for Him. It's for Him. This orients us in reality. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that God made all things. It tells us how He did it. And it tells us why He did it. That He did it, how He did it, and why He did it. So here's the background for us. In the beginning, God created everything that exists by the word of His mouth for His own glory. In the beginning... God created everything that exists from the words of His mouth for His own glory. This is the message of Genesis chapter 1. And so if the Bible is the revelation of God to man, and it is, then the first glimpse that we get of the God of Scripture is a glimpse where the God of the Bible flashes forth and displays unrivaled power in Genesis chapter 1. I want you to be reminded of these things. The God that we serve, the the God that we call Father in Christ Jesus opened His mouth and everything that exists flies into being. This is the power of His words. He is the Creator of the ends of the earth. The Creator of the entire universe. And so, eight times in Genesis chapter 1, you read something that sounds like this. And God said, let there be. And then all of a sudden it happens. And God said, let there be. And then all of a sudden it happens. And this is the repetitive theme of Genesis chapter 1. Something from nothing. All things came from nothing because of His Word. And so Romans 4 verse 17 says it this way. This is the words of Romans 4 17. That the God of the Bible, He calls into existence things that do not exist. This is simply amazing. There is none like Him... There's no one in this room that can claim those words for themselves. He calls into existence things that do not exist. This is who He is. This is who He's always been. And so the church, from as early as the second century, the church has had a word to talk about how God created the universe. And they call it ex nihilo. Ex nihilo. And that's a Latin phrase that means out of nothing. He did it out of nothing. He had no raw materials And He opens His mouth and all things exist. He created the heavens and the earth by the word of His mouth. R.C. Sproul says it like this. I love this. He says, all that is, everything that exists, all that is, flies out of the womb of nothing at the voice of the sovereign Lord of all creation. This is who He is. From Genesis chapter 1, He issues a sovereign decree from His throne. And I want to talk to you about that. Because we see God speaking in Genesis chapter 1, but we need to have a grid. God speaks different ways in Scripture, and this way that He speaks is called a decree. A decree. And you say, what do you mean by that? I don't see the word decree in that verse. This is not the same way that God talks in other places in Scripture. Okay, In Genesis chapter 1, God opens His mouth and nothing rebels against His Word. Everything comes under His authority. And this is the same word that in this moment, 
right now, in this moment, that Jesus Christ is upholding this entire universe by the same sovereign decree. Okay? Now, your, your cells in your body are being held together right now. You have a pulse in, in your body right now because God wills it to be so by His Word. Listen to Hebrews 1, 3. This is, this is about Jesus. It says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. He upholds all that is by the word of His power. Okay? This is how powerful the God of Genesis 1 is. He does it all by opening His mouth in a sovereign decree. In the first three days of creation, let's review this really fast. First three days, God is forming the universe. And in the, and in the, the last three days of creation, God is filling what He has formed. And so here's how this works. In day one, God makes, He forms the day and the night. And in the corresponding day in day four, God fills the day and the night with the sun and the moon. Day two, God forms the heavens above. Day five, the corresponding day, God begins to fill the heavens above with birds in the air. Day three, God forms the dry land and names it earth. And then in day six, this glorious day six that we're coming to today, God begins to fill the dry land. And this is where we're going to pick up this creation narrative. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, listen again. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So let's hit this really simply, okay? On day six of creation, God begins to fill the dry land with what He calls living creatures in this verse, in verse 26. This is the name that God, God has given to... We call them animals. God calls them living creatures. Every animal that lives on dry land is a living creature. And He gives us... He groups them into three categories here. The livestock, the creeping things, and the beast of the earth. Now the livestock, this is most likely a reference to domesticated animals from the very beginning. And then the creeping things, most likely a reference to, to small wild animals from the very beginning. And then beast of the earth, most likely a reference to large wild animals to the, from the very beginning. So here's the point. That covers everything. That covers all the dogs that, that we love, all the pets that have meant so much to you. God created these things. God began to fill the dry land and the earth that He had formed with these living Creatures from the very beginning. Okay, those few words tell us the same thing that we've been seeing so far in Genesis chapter 1. That He creates every single creature that you can possibly roll across your mind. God created that creature with the word of His mouth in about half a day. He populates the dry land. He fills what He has formed. Okay, this is, this is the sovereign decree that I want to hammer down on this morning. Okay? There is a way in which the God of the Bible speaks that nothing comes against what He says. So I want you to look at this. He says, let the earth bring forth living creatures. And look at what, something amazing happens here. We're, we're not told anything in this passage that you have molecules 
arguing with one another of, I'd really like to be a tiger. No, I'd really like to be a monkey. No, I'd really like to be a cat. Or I'd really like not to exist. Do you understand this? There's no arguing. God speaks and all that is begins to, to form into being. That's called His decree. The God of the Bible has the authority to speak in this way. Nothing comes against what He says. That's why when it's all said and done, everything happens according to His will. He speaks with a sovereign decree. And so Genesis chapter 1, we have a picture of God's authority in creation. And at this point in day 6, the, the focus sharpens. And so we had the creation of these living creatures, and then the focus sharpens. And we've already seen this happen one time in chapter 1 already. And you say, what do you mean? Here, here we go. Out of everywhere in the entire universe. Y'all just think back of what Ryan has taught us the past two weeks. That, that the little examples he gave about just a grain of sand of space containing galaxies galore. Just point to the glory of God. So out of everywhere in this massive universe that we can't even begin to fathom the size of. The creation account zooms in and focuses in on this little bitty ball, this relatively small planet that God has named Earth. That is an amazing thing to consider. That we are like a grain of sand in the universe, and everything that's happening is zoned in here. Planet Earth, if, if, if the entire creation, if the entire universe is the theater on which God displays His glory, and it is, then that means that planet Earth is center stage. The planet that we live on from the very beginning is the center stage of history. It's the epicenter of God's work in history. Okay, That's an amazing thing, but I want you to see this. It sharpens even, even more than that. So you have a zone in on planet earth, and then in verse 26, it zones in even more. And at the end of day 6, we're coming to the apex of God's work and creation with the creation of man. Verse 26, listen close. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so day six tells us that from the beginning, mankind is at the center of God's attention. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to take this creation narrative and I want to push on you. And I want to push this text on you and these passages and these truths. And I want to exalt our view of, of man, our view of who God created man to be. Genesis 1 records the creation of the universe, but it zones in on us. That is simply amazing. That is an amazing thing to consider. We're like a grain of sand on a grain of sand called planet Earth, and yet it zones in, and this whole story revolves around what God is doing with man. Okay, This is an amazing thing. Point number one on your outline this morning is man is a glorious creation of God. Man is a glorious creation of God. So here's what we're going after this morning. When we walk away from this text, we want a high view of the dignity of mankind, of the dignity of who God created man to be. And here's the statement I want you to consider this morning. Write this down on your notes. The glory of man far exceeds the glory of the universe. 
the glory of man far exceeds the glory of the universe. Now, I know that is a provocative statement. I know that. Okay? So I want you to consider these things because I want to pull out some truths from this passage and I want to show you that this is true from the very beginning, that the glory of man far exceeds the glory of the entire universe. Okay? And I want our view of man to be exalted. So consider this. Before the creation of man, in the Genesis 1 account, you have this repeated phrase, God creates something and then God says what? It is good. And He does that over and over again. It is good. It is good. It is good. And then you have the creation of man on the sixth day. And then somebody tell me what God says in verse 31. It is very good. It is very good. The creation of man is called very good. The creation of the entire universe is called good. So let's just keep running down this. Man is created last. It's like the the order of supremacy. It's like it's ascending. And that man is literally the, the, the crown of God's creation. The finale of God's created work in the world. Day six... The day that we're on now, it's given more space in Genesis chapter 1 than any other day by far. By far. What's God trying to tell us with that? Okay? Up until this point, God has created with these words, let there be. But when we get to the creation of man, He utters these words, let us make. You catch that? Let there be. He creates the universe at a distance. But when it comes to the creation of man, He is personally involved with the creation of man. We're going to see this later in Genesis chapter 2. That He literally forms man from the dust of the ground. He makes us personally. We are distinct in all of God's created order. What does this mean for us? Consider also in verse 26. That man is created on the backside of a meeting. Backside of a meeting in verse 26. And so those words, let us make, those words tell us that somebody is talking to somebody. And that is odd because no human beings are on the planet yet. Okay, Something's happening in verse 26. There's a conversation happening and a meeting happening. And then man is created directly out of this meeting. So what is this meeting happening in verse 26? Not even a full chapter into the Bible. You have this this doctrine of the Trinity in seed form. And here's what I mean. God is talking to God in that verse. God is talking to God in that verse about creating man. God is having a conversation with Himself. And then He creates man. It's like God comes to the crown of His creation... And what he's about to do is so glorious that he holds counsel with himself. Like a sacred Trinitarian counsel. And the Father begins to dialogue with the Son. And the Son begins to dialogue with the Spirit. And they are coming up devising this plan that says, let us make man in our image. Nothing else in God's creation is tied to a meeting between the triune God right before it was created. The creation of man is glorious. Verse 27, only man in all the universe is said to be created in the image of God. Search far and wide. Every galaxy that you could ever dream, not one thing in all of God's creation will be said to bear His image except for mankind. We alone, uh, we alone are distinct in all of God's creation. And then, even in verse 26, you see 
that from the very beginning, God designed man to sit at the highest order of His creation. He, de- he designed man and created man to have dominion. You see that in verse, verse 26. So from the very beginning, God willed, God's design for humanity was to be the highest of His creatures. They were to reign over the earth for God. They were the heirs of the world, the lords of nature. They were ruling on God's behalf in all the created order. This is man according to Genesis 1. This is a glorious creature. Okay, This might not be what you think about when you think about mankind. And we'll talk about that more in a minute. But man is a glorious creature created to rule, created to reign over God's created world. And you need this high view of humanity. You need this. And I'll say this again. The glory of mankind far exceeds the glory of the universe. Think about this. This would be a glorious thought for you to cook your brain on this week. Okay, Nothing in God's creation has more potential glory to God than a human being. Nothing. And what that means for us is that we're made... Think about this. We're made with a soul that lasts forever. Y'all agree with that? We are eternal beings. That means there's never going to be a time... There's a part of you that lives forever. And so think about this. We live in the Milky Way galaxy. And a million years after the Milky Way galaxy burns out, every person in this room still is. You are eternal. The glory of man is great above the universe, above creation. And you need to think about this. There's a part of you, every person in this room, there's a part of you that will live longer than the sun itself. Man is eternal from the very beginning. He's a glorious creature. We need this exalted view of man. So biblically speaking, biblically speaking, it is more glorious to witness the birth of a baby than the birth of a galaxy. Do you see that? The, this, this high view of humanity that if we could, if we could have a front row seat to a, an entire galaxy just, just springing into being, or we could see an image bearer born into this world, man has far exceeds the glory of the universe, the glory of man. And this creation account demands that we see man as the apex of God's creation. He's the apex, the crown. And doesn't it make sense in light of this? So we're, we're unpacking some of this. Now, doesn't it make sense of why the second greatest command in the entire universe is to love your neighbor as yourself? Does that make sense now? Make a little more sense of God's exalted view of who He created man to be? And this is the second most important commandment in all of creation is to love these image bearers as though you loved your very own self. So the point is this. A low view of man from the very beginning will cause you to miss the point of the Bible. It will cause you to miss the point of the Bible. From the very beginning, man is at the focus of God's work in history. But I want to balance this with point number two. And point number two is this. Man is a glorious creation, but God is the glorious creator. Man is a glorious creation... But God is the glorious Creator. So, we do need to to grab a hold of this exalted view of humanity, this biblical view of humanity, but don't ever be confused about this. When we say we need to exalt man in our minds, we need to exalt God infinitely higher. Okay, 
God, according to verse 26, is our maker. He's the one that said, let us make man in our image. He's our maker. J.I. Packer says that this is the most fundamental relationship between God and man. He is our maker. We are the made ones. He is creator. And everything else that could pop into your mind right now is creation. He alone is creator. Everything else is creation. He is the maker. He is the potter. Everything else is the clay. So from the very beginning, the fact that He's, cre he's creator, it puts us in right relationship with Him. And you say, what do you mean? I want everybody in this room to know that you did not make yourself. You were made. You were formed. You were created by God. And that means that He has creator rights over your life. He made you and He owns you. He owns you. Because He made you. He's the Creator and the King from the very beginning. And so we exist for Him. Man is this glorious creation, but He exists to point to this glorious Creator God. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6. It says, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. Let's just talk about glorious prepositions for just a minute. Okay? 1 Corinthians 8.6 From whom are all things? From. For whom we exist? For. For and from. Do you realize how much glory is just in these two words? Everything that is, is from Him. He is Creator of the ends of the earth. The Creator of all that it is. It is from Him. And then the back half of that sentence rolls straight into this phrase. And everything that's from Him, it's for Him. That means that the God of the Bible made everything that exists for Himself. For Himself. For His glory. For His pleasure. Do you know this about yourself? That you exist for God. That you are made for Him. That God made you, formed you to worship Him. To serve Him. To live in His pleasure. To glorify Him on this earth. You're not your own. You are made by your Maker and you are owned by Him. From the very beginning, this puts man in relation to God, the glorious Creator. It is critical that you see man as the highest of creatures, but that you see God as infinitely higher. And here's what I mean. Almost every error in, in, in the world's attempt to define who man is, errs one of two ways. Either, first, they exalt man up beside God. Okay? And man becomes a god to himself. Or the second error is to push man down beside the animals. And Genesis chapter 1 sticks man right in the middle. He is distinct above all of God's creation, but he is infinitely lower than the creator of the ends of the earth. And so this means that Genesis 1 is a gift to us. This helps us stay oriented in this world that God has created for himself. In the first chapter of God's book, here's what I mean. Genesis 1 is a gift to you. In the first chapter of God's book, you know, we know where we came from. Everybody agree with that? From Genesis 1, we know where we came from and we know why we're here. Anybody else in all of creation can't tell you that, but the God of the Bible tells you that in chapter 1 of Scripture. He, we know where we came from and we know why we are here. Is that helpful? When we think about what we're, what we're going to be about on this planet, what we're going to accomplish with our life. Do you think those are helpful things for you to know? Where you came from and why you're here. And Genesis 1 is going to answer these questions for us. We know where we came from and we know why we're here. We came from God 
And God made us for Himself. We exist for Him. We exist for His glory. Or, in the language of Genesis 1, God made you to image Him and spread His dominion. Did you catch that? We know where we came from and we know why we're here. God made us for His glory. Or, in the language of Genesis 1, to say the same thing, God made you to image Him and to spread His dominion. This is why you are on planet earth. To image God and to spread His dominion. Point number three. Man is created. Let's answer these questions. Let's, sit, let's, let's let this text bear on our life. Why are we here? Point number three. Man is created to resemble God. Every person in this room is created to resemble God. Verse 27. So God created man in His own image. And in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. So God's design for man from Genesis chapter 1 is that we image Him. That we are His images in the earth. There are no exceptions to this. You say, what do you mean by that? There are no exceptions. Every human being is an image bearer of God. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter your race. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic status. It has nothing to do with your physical capabilities or your mental capacities from the moment of conception. Every human being is an image bearer of God. An image bearer of God. Churches refer to this as the Imago Dei. That's the Latin phrase describing the image of God. And there's a lot of questions flying around about exactly what this means in man. What is the image of God in man? So I want to break this down really, really simple. Like country boy, simple. Simple teaching of the Word of God. Okay, That's where we're going this morning. So, let's start here. We need to know something first about God if we want to know something about the image of God. Okay, Any attempt to define the image of God in man without God being part of the explicit definition is wrong. You can't even define what it means to be a human being without talking about man in relation to God. So that's the first thing we want to throw down. Okay, And then we want to start at a very basic level. What does an image do? And the answer would be an image images. Okay? I told you we were going simple. Okay? An image images. It shows something. That's the point of an image. This is how it's, it's used in Colossians 1.15. Listen to this. Talking about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. Images image. Images show something. And the invisible God is made visible through an image. Do you see that? The invisible God is made visible through an image. It shows something. This means that from the beginning, mankind is uniquely created to show something to the rest of God's creation about God. We're, we're designed by God to, to show something about God in all the earth. Okay? Psalm, chapter, Psalm 8 refers to this as our glory and our honor. This is, this is our glory and our honor that distinguishes us above the animals. God designed us to show something about Himself. Now, press into this a little more. What are we supposed to be showing about God? Okay, Ask yourself that. We don't look like God. God doesn't have a body like we do. So we're not showing creation what God looks like in a physical sense. I hope you're in agreement with me on that. Okay, So what are we showing about God? 
Think about this. Probably not His power. Probably not His power. That's probably not what we're demonstrating and showing to creation. I can think of some better demonstrations of the power of God than man, like hurricanes or supernovas or tornadoes. Okay, Those flash forth His mighty power more than man. So what are we supposed to be showing about God? And here's where I'm helped greatly by Ephesians chapter 4. Verse 24. I want to read it to you. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24. It says, Put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. And what I want you to see is that verse just linked this language of image and likeness to, to morality, to holiness and righteousness. Okay? It linked it together. I didn't. Okay? So, Walk these thoughts back into Genesis 1. We are designed to be living, breathing displays of the moral nature of God. God made us to be living, breathing images that show His holiness and His righteousness to all creation. We were designed to reflect the moral nature of God like a mirror. Uh, One theologian calls us mirrors of God's majesty. I love that. We are mirrors of His majesty, His moral nature from the very beginning. And so we were designed to show forth His glorious perfections and what the God of the Bible is like, His righteousness and His holiness. Many of you know this. After sin enters the world, there's some language about the image of God that sometimes is hard to put together. And here's what I mean. So let's just sit back and sit in this for a minute. God designed every person in this room and every person on this globe to show something about His righteousness and His holiness. And then if you've read any of the Bible, you know that that doesn't go real good. Okay, In about two chapters, we're going to see something called sin enter into this world. And it's really going to wreck all of creation. It's going to turn things upside down. And so our question this morning is this. What happens to the image of God after sin enters the world? Listen to James 3, verse 9. Something happens in Scripture that is talked about in two different ways. In one sense, the image of God continues after sin. James 3, 9 says this, We curse people, that's today, who are made in the likeness of God. Do you see that? So you got image bearers on planet earth after sin has entered the world And this is us today. We do this. We curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Yet, at the same time, you have language like the image of God is broken in man. You see this in Colossians 3 verse 10. It says this, Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. You remember? Simple. You don't have to renew something that is fine. You renew stuff that's broken. Okay, so on the one hand, the image of God remains in man. And on the other hand, at the same time, Scripture affirms that the image of God is broken in man. Okay? So I hope you see the tension of that. What do we do with this? We need to understand what to do with this because this is why we're on planet Earth. Agreed? So how do we sort this out? How do we sort this tension out? This is why theologians have defined the image of God in a twofold way. Okay? 
We're, we're sticking close to Scripture. We're going to talk about the image of God the same way that Scripture does. In one sense, it continues. In another sense, it is defaced. It is shattered. It is fractured. If we're a mirror, in one sense, that mirror is still there. In another sense, that mirror is broken to pieces. Do you catch this? This is the image of God in man. So in a broad sense, the image of God can be defined as our moral nature. If we're supposed to be showing something about God's moral nature, that means He made us with a moral ability. We have a moral capacity. You say, what does that mean? We can love God. We can worship God. We can serve God. We can bless God. We can work unto the pleasure of God. We are moral beings. You search creation up and down. You won't find this. This is unique in man. We are in relation to God, created to worship and to serve Him. So we have these capacities. And these capacities, these moral capacities in man, they continue past the fall. You say, what do you mean? God still holds us accountable. We are moral beings that are held to account before God the righteous judge. Man still has these capabilities. Okay, So in a broadest sense, the image of God continues past the fall. But in a narrow sense, the image of God can be defined as what we do with our moral nature. What do we do with our moral nature? And here's, here's what I'm saying. At the core, what makes us image bearers is not so much that we can, that we have the capacities to love, worship, and serve God. That's not what makes us like Him at the very core. What makes us like Him is that we actually do love, worship, and serve God. It's what we do with these moral capacities. It's what we actually do with them. It's our righteousness that we display before the world. Okay, This part of the image of God is wrecked to shreds. After the fall, we continue after sin with moral abilities, but we have no moral righteousness after the fall before the God of Scripture. Ecclesiastes 7.29 says, God made man upright. God made man upright, but He has sought out many schemes. So, we are still in this room, every one of us, we are still, in a broad way, we are still created in the image of God. And that's our dignity. We're not raised down towards the animals. We're not pushed in the dirt like the animals. We still have this dignity. Every one of us. And in the same breath, every one of us have wrecked this to shreds. And every one of us failed to display the righteousness and the holiness of God. And that's called our depravity. And both every person in this room has both of these. You, are, you have dignity before God and you have depravity before God. This is what makes the story of man such a tragedy. As he falls from the highest of places. From the highest of places. God designed man to resemble him. That's the image of God in man. But look at point number four on your outline. God also designed man to represent Him. To represent Him. Verse 28. And God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Did you know college students in the room, did you know that the God of Scripture did not create man to be idle? It is a sinful thing when we have endless fascinations with never-ending vacations. That is not what we were created for from the very beginning. God made man to work. God gave man a task. Even in the Garden of Eden, 
even before sin enters into the world. We are charged to develop, to steward God's creation to the glory of God and for the good of everything that is. This is our job from the beginning. Now obviously that's a bigger task than one person, which is why you have the language there of be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. One person can't do this. They're supposed to spread abroad. Okay? And one thing that that means for us today is that through this passage, I want to encourage you that every single person in this room, you have received a task from God, a vocation in this world, work to accomplish in this world for God. This is your stewardship over God's creation. Here's what I mean. That job that you plug in 40 plus hours every week, it actually matters to God. Isn't that a glorious thing? Start tallying up the amount of hours that you spend in your vocation on this planet. God actually cares about that. Even to the stay-at-home moms in this room, God actually cares about what we do. Praise God, from the very beginning, He gives us this task. And our work is not just to be a means to an end. That means it's not just how you pay your bills. It's, it's not just how you meet people and do other things. Work is an end in itself. It's good from the very beginning before sin enters the world because God works. We bow down and we worship Jesus. Amen? And Jesus... Worked. Jesus was a carpenter in Galilee. He knows what it's like to have dirt under his fingernails. Knows what it's like to have calluses on his hands. Work is not sinful. Work is glorious. Work is God's intention for man. It is sinful to daydream about never-ending vacations in this world. God made us to work. God made us to work. But I want you to see something in verse 28. And I want to encourage you with this. Yes, you have an individual task in this world, your vocation. But the warning in verse 28 is don't separate this individual task that you have in this world from God's global mission. From God's global mission. Look at verse 28. Point number 5 on your outline. God made man to reproduce the image of God. Don't disconnect your daily job from the mission from the very beginning. God made man to reproduce His image. This means that not only does man have a task, he has a mission. We are on a mission, almost military language, that we are to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and have dominion. Now, really simple way to interpret that verse is, oh yeah, in, in, in verse 28, God commanded the, uh, Adam and Eve to have babies, to procreate. And, and that's what He wants to happen in planet earth. Well, the problem with that is in about six chapters in Scripture, the God of the Bible is going to kill every human being on the face of the earth and what we know is the flood of Noah, except for six people. And so if, God, if all God wanted is human bodies all over the planet, then why did He do that? Because this command is given right on the backside of mankind being created as image bearers of God. The command here is not about populating earth with human bodies. The command here is about getting this image, this likeness of God, and spreading it over all that God has made. From the very beginning, this is our mission. The New Testament version of this mission can be found in Matthew 28, verse 19. Jesus says to His church, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. That's the exact same mission. It's not a different thing. Okay? He just roots the mission of the church and the mission of man from the very beginning. Every single one of us have a part to play in this mission. Throughout human history, I want you to think about this. This is God's design. Throughout human history, rulers 
have set up statutes of themselves, statues, uh, broad, big idols of themselves in, in the places where they rule. Everybody with me? This has happened many times throughout the ages. It happens in Scripture. In Daniel chapter 3, uh, the king of Babylon named Nebuchadnezzar, he sets up this massive statue of himself in Babylon. And what's the point? What's going on there? What is Nebuchadnezzar doing? He is proclaiming his dominion in the place with where he rules. Okay, This happens even today in our generation in North Korea. Uh, the, the rulers of North Korea have literally populated the entire, the entire country with these bronze statues of the so-called great leaders. The point is the exact same. They are proclaiming their dominion in the land over which they rule. Okay? What I want you to see, those are cheap knockoffs, cheap counterfeits to what God did in Genesis chapter 1. You say, what do you mean? The God of the Bible, the living God of all creation, the true King over everything that has ever existed, forms and fashions this statue and He slams it down in the middle of the Garden of Eden. And you have Adam and Eve created in the image of God. Take all that that we just talked about into this, into this Genesis 1 story. Why? Why did He do this? You don't set up an image and, and a statue to glorify the image in the statue. It glor- the image in the statue glorifies the one that it points to. Do you see this? Do you see this radical God-centered creation that He slams down these living, breathing images on planet earth to, to do what? To do what? To proclaim that I am the Lord God and I reign here. That's His point. That's why we exist. That's why we are here. That, that creation is to look on man, on Adam and Eve, the, in, the, in the mind of God and the attention of God, and they're to look on a human being, an image bearer of God, and they're to know the takeaway from that moment is that the Lord God reigns over that man, reigns over that woman, and reigns in this place over which He stands. He is the King. That's why, that's why we exist, to point to His rule. Then, so He slams down these images and these idols, and then what does He do? He commands that there's got to be more of these. I'm such a glorious God. I am so great. My name must be great in all the earth that they have to multiply. They have to fill the entire creation. Why? God, do you, do you see this? God wants a world. God designs a world. And God intends a world that from shore to shore, literally filling planet earth, that you would have these living, breathing images that all of creation could look down on planet earth and know what? That the Lord God reigns in this place. He reigns here. And so man from the beginning is given this commission by God to spread out this image over all the earth. That means that we're spreading God's kingdom and God's glorious reign. This is the mission from the very beginning. Can you imagine a world like this? Can you imagine a world like this? I saw the news just one night this week. Like four or five murders just in one night. Can you imagine a world where image bearers are literally filling planet earth to the praise and the glory of God's name. Can you imagine that? This is an awesome thing. This is the world that God intended. Verse 31 says this about this kind of world. And God saw everything that He had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening. 
And there was mourning the sixth day. The glorious sixth day of creation. This is our mission. Our mission as the church of Jesus is to multiply the image of God among all the nations. And this can only be accomplished as we obey the Great Commission. We don't take dominion by arm wrestling people, by, by pounding people into the ground. How do we do it? How do we reproduce the image of God? We announce the good news of the gospel that Christ, the Son of God, has, has came to us in the likeness of man, has, has died for us on His cross, has made a way for sinners, for the condemned ones to come back under God's reign and God's rule, under God's kingdom. This is the good news that we announce. It's the only way in. And so when, when, when we say our mission is to take dominion and to multiply this image to the ends of the earth, our job is to make disciples. Our job is to preach the gospel. Okay? If you are not doing this, you are not fulfilling the end for which you were created. This is part of the design from the very beginning. And I just want us to be honest for a second. Every single one of us in this room have failed miserably in this mission. You have failed to resemble God. You have failed to represent God, and I have too. And you have failed to reproduce the image of God among the nations. You have failed miserably. Okay, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have fallen short of what God intended. Instead of ruling creation and having dominion over creation, man bows down and worships the creature over the Creator that is blessed forever. Isn't that a sad thing? He was given dominion over all, and He bows down and worships creatures that are infinitely lower than Him, infinitely under His feet. Instead of filling this world with the image of God, we have literally populated planet earth with the image that defames God, that is nothing like the God of Scripture. Instead of filling the earth with righteousness and holiness, we have populated the earth with unrighteousness and ungodliness. We have failed this mission miserably. The crown of glory that God has placed on man's head in Genesis 1, it has fallen from our heads. We're no longer the king over God's creation. God actually calls us into His courtroom. Tries us, we're tried before God the judge. God pronounces us guilty. And we have this sentence of condemnation over our heads. Every single one of us have fallen from what God has intended for us. But here's something I want us to see. Praise to the living God. Praise to His holy name that God has willed to restore us. God has willed to restore us. Point number six on your outline. Jesus Christ fulfills the dominion mandate. Jesus Christ fulfills the dominion mandate. Here's what I want to encourage you with today. It is still God's plan to cover the earth with His image. He is undeterred in this and this will certainly happen. And in order for us to be remade in God's likeness, in God's image, God inverted the order. And you say, what do you mean? Instead of man being created in the likeness of God, God the Eternal Son comes to His creation in the likeness of man. This should put us on our face that the Holy One walks among us. Not just so we would know about it. He's doing it to save us. Listen to Philippians 2. Verses 5-11 through 11. Christ Jesus, who though in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself, taking the form 
of a servant being born in the likeness of man. The one who is equal with God came to us like a slave. And I just want to remind you of this. Simply amazing. This is what this gospel is. Simply amazing. God the eternal Son came to us in the likeness of man. And being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Anybody have any better news than this this morning? That the Son of God made Himself like us to die for us on His bloody cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And so here's the good news of the Gospel. What good news springs from what Jesus has done? Here's the good news. By the grace of God, by the grace of God alone through the work of the, the, the finished work of Christ alone, by faith alone, we can be remade. We can receive an entirely new birth. We can be changed into a new creation by the grace of God through faith in Christ. We can be forgiven of our sins. Why? Because the Son of God was nailed to His bloody cross on our behalf. Jesus has done everything necessary to save us, to renew this image that we fractured, that was crushed, that we marred. This is what He has done for us. By God's grace, the image of God can be restored to us in conversion, renewed. It can be progressively formed in us, that sanctification, and then it's going to be perfectly and forever formed in us in glorification. That means for every believer in this room, that when Christ Jesus raises us from the dead, that we are going to be made like Him. And when we say that, we don't mean that we're going back to the image of Adam. Okay, We're not returning back to what Adam was. Adam was innocent, but Jesus is glorified humanity. That means that God is going to finally and forever put away sin. There will be no repeat of Genesis chapter 3 in eternity. Where we fall from, fall from grace, sin will be forever banished and Jesus will, will put away death itself. And so here's what I want you to see. Christ has done and is doing what Adam failed to do in Genesis 1. You say, what do you mean? Hebrews chapter 2. That's the entire point of the chapter. Okay, Hebrews chapter 2 tells us that Christ succeeds where Adam failed. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, listen to this. At present, at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to Him. But we see Him, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor. I want you to go home and I want you to pray through that verse. That verse just told us that Jesus has been crowned as the King, God's true King. And He is sitting literally right in the middle of the dominion mandate in Genesis 1. He's the King crowned with glory and honor. And we don't see Him finishing that yet, but He's on His way. He will have everything subjected under His feet. He will take dominion in all the earth. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15, 25-27. It says, He must reign until He has put all His enemies under His feet. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. Know this 
about Jesus Christ is that He is reigning now and He will continue to reign until He puts every enemy under His feet. Everything will be subjected to Him. He will not stop this mission until Habakkuk 2 is accomplished. Listen to this. Jesus will not stop until Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as water covers the sea. Do you know that is not magic? That is not a kid's story? That is not a fairy tale? That is a prophecy of this world, this world made new, that there's a form of this world that's passing away, and there's a new heavens and a new earth that's going to be created. And Jesus is not going to stop until the knowledge of the glory of God fills planet earth like water covering the sea. Can you even begin to imagine a world like this? This is His mission, and He will see to it that it's finished. And I would just encourage you with this. Don't miss your chance to worship Him. This is what He's doing. This is where He's headed, and He will surely accomplish this mission. So as we close, I want to I push on you with one thought. Okay, I want to use Genesis chapter 1, and I want to press it on your life. This is to every Christian in this room. Genesis 1. This is why you are alive. So, inhale, exhale. Why? This is why. This is why you are alive on planet earth. This is the purpose for your life. Resemble God. Represent God. And reproduce the image of God in the earth. This is what it means to truly live. You are falling infinitely lower than what God has provided for you in Christ. If there's not an outlet in your life to represent God, to, to, to reproduce the image of God, and to be like God. This is, this is what we're supposed to be about. So how are these things going for you? You're on planet earth to resemble God. What's holiness looking like in your life? What's your fight against sin? This is why you're here, to show something about the moral nature of God to creation. How's that going? How's the fight against sin going? How's the growth in godliness? How's your growth in grace going as a Christian? This is why you're here. To be shaped and molded into the moral nature of God. Into the, to the likeness of Jesus Himself. What about representing God and your vocation? You click off 40 plus hours a week. Most of you in this room. At a job. Surely, surely God has a plan for you to work for His glory. 40 plus hours a week while you're alive on planet earth. How's this going for you? How's this going for you? And what about this last thing? You exist to pursue the mission of Jesus, to reproduce His image in all the world. Just like, there's a way to hear what we just heard about Jesus fulfilling the dominion mandate, and we come and we worship Him. Look at this glorious second Adam. Look at this glorious one, God's true King, taking dominion in all creation. And we worship and we sit back and we think, well, Jesus is doing it. I don't have anything to do. No, 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 no. Matthew 28 calls our mission, it calls it a commission. you know why it says that? Because we are to come alongside Christ in this mission as He takes dominion to the ends of the earth. And the way that corresponds back in Genesis 1 is God didn't just give this mission to Adam. God gave this mission. There were two people in the garden. Adam had a bride. Adam had a wife. And her name was Eve. And they were both given this, this mandate to take dominion and to spread this image in all the earth. Well, who is Jesus' wife? That's us. 
That's us. Jesus intends to, to fill the earth with this image through His bride, through His people, through His church. You have a part to play in this mission. A unique role to play in the mission of Jesus. If you do not have an outlet in your life for the Great Commission, you don't even understand what it means to be truly human. These are rooted from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. And so I want you to receive this push today and that you would wake up to that which is truly life. This is that which is truly life. And so let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning in the name of Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that You would drive Your Word into our hearts, God. God, we thank You for speaking to us, God. We remember, Lord, You didn't have to tell us anything about the beginning. Lord, You could have let us wander in the fog our whole life, Lord, but You spoke to us in mercy and grace. And we ask, God, for minds and hearts to linger over Your truth, to linger over what You have designed. And Jesus, we worship You today. Lord, we remember, God, that You are the glorious One. You are the One who, who has arisen victorious. Lord, we fail miserably to represent You, God. But God, you, You're a God of grace and You have saved us, Lord. You have made us new. God, we worship You for that today. And we pray as a local church, God, that You would more and more and more, that You would make us like You, Lord Jesus. That we would be a people marked by Your likeness and Your image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.